Well, come on back. You come on back and uh, grab your Bibles. And we are going to start in chapter 4 of the Song of Solomon. That's where we currently are. And uh, just as I was standing here, I was thinking to myself, well, who, you know, who here went to... Oh, wait, 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 before we start that. What, uh, so Independence Day, right? And today's the day the Continental Congress voted to declare independence from England, right? No, that's the part. They didn't. Uh, I knew I'd get you. They actually voted on J- July 2nd uh, to um, um, break away from uh, Great Britain. They, uh, pa- it passed on July 2nd, but for whatever reason, they didn't de- declare it or put, put it into signature until July 4th. I don't know why I told you that other than I find that interesting. You know what I would do? You're going to laugh at me because this is my answer for everything. If you'd never read the book 1776, you ever read that book by David McCullough, who's from Pittsburgh, by the way? Pick up that book. It's an amazing book. It'll give you a new perspective on uh, what happened, what happened during that year, and what led up to it. So uh, go ahead, uh, you know, grab that. It's a wonderful book. It could be your summer reading, but uh, uh, good stuff. But, you know, I just sense, uh, you know, who, who here went, went to Narraway or was participant in Narraway or uh, worked at Narraway? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you were there, right, right, or if you participated or whatever. Or anybody here ever been to a women's retreat and you know, just think, think back to your favorite women's retreat. Get it in your mind right now. Or your favorite time, get that in your mind. And then, or has anybody here been to a men's retreat? Just blowed your socks off, right? You've been to a men's retreat and it's, you're up on that spiritual high. And then this one thing has to happen that always has to happen. The weekend comes to a close. And you have to drive down from the mountain or wherever you are. You come down from the mountaintop experience and then life happens. Like things like uh, work or dishes or yard work or changing diapers or settling arguments between the kids or whatever it is. I don't know. Or going back to school. And your thought is, I think, why can't I be back up on the mountain? Why can't I be back in their way? Why can't I be back at the men's retreat or the women's retreat or whatever? And I think one of the things that the Lord is telling us here um, is this, or wants to share with us. It's actually a scripture, and it's found in Ephesians 3. Uh, you're welcome to turn there if you want to turn there. But in Ephesians 3, chapter, or verse 14, the Lord gives us a scripture, I think, to keep us zealous. It actually doesn't say that, but I think this is the prescription that the Lord gives. You ready? It's in Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, Paul writes, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15, from whom the whole family and heaven and earth is named. And now here is his prayer. Listen to this. He wouldn't pray it unless it was possible. Here's the prayer of Paul for you and I, for the Ephesians church, or the Ephesian church, and for us, for whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, 
according to the riches of his glory, praise God. Could you imagine if it was the riches that humans have or something? But according to the riches of his glory, think about that, his glory, his Shekinah glory, the weighty substance of who he is, the beauty of who God is, his holiness, his majesty, all wrapped up in him. According, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, which means it'll never run out. It's so perfectly pure and beautiful. It's like the purest Holy Spirit fuel you could get, right? It's the glory of God. <laughs> that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man or woman. Don't you want to be strengthened inside? Don't you, you know when you come back from the mountaintop experience... And you go, oh, shoot, you mean life isn't like narrow way, 10 days or, you know, 365 days a year? Or you come back from the Bible college in Marietta and you go, whoa, wait a second, life isn't that? It's mundane. It's not like it was. Where are the palm trees? Where's the sand? That's what my Christianity is associated with. Well, listen, Jesus or, or, or Paul here through the Holy Spirit tells us that God wants to strengthen us in the inner man through the Holy Spirit. Watch this. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you'll plug in to all this supernatural power, faith in Christ, Holy Spirit comes into your inner man, that you, here it comes, here's the Song of Solomon. <laughs> that you and I and we, when we come down from the mountaintop experience, or we're on the mountaintop, or we're in the mountaintop, or we're so far away from the mountaintop, we don't know where to turn, that you would be so rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. You can't even understand it. He loves you so much that you may be filled, how about this statement? Is it possible to be filled with all the fullness of God? Well, the Lord tells us it is, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Who stunning. Here's why I say this. You know what the key is to zeal? It's not manufacturing saying, man, I'm gonna be a good Christian this week. I'm going to have a smile on my face and a spring in my step, and it's going to be just glorious and beautiful. It ain't that, folks. It's knowing how much God loves you personally. That's how you get strong. That's why there's zeal. That's how you move on. That's how you continue on in the hard times and the difficult times and the good times and the trials and the victories. It's because we know we're loved. And the Holy Spirit brings it to you, imparts it to you. You know, one of the things Xander said during Narrow Way that really struck me. Uh, one day we were in here and we were having a time of worship. And I may be, maybe it was the fifth or sixth day in. And actually one of the kids uh, got saved that day during worship. But you know what he said to me? Why is it that this doesn't happen for the adults? And he said, not me, he said, is it because we don't take the time to just sit in his presence and worship him, to find out how much he loves us? Oh, we kind of know it intellectually, but to, but to know it through the word and through praise and prayer, that's something different. 
And man, I think he's right. Here, Paul tells us to be strengthened, grounded in love, so you can comprehend, just comprehend how awesome God loves you, how, how, how awesomely, how tremendously. I know I'm making up words, but I can't help it. So now, do me a favor and flip to chapter 4. We actually got in the middle of chapter 4, and I had to stop because I ran out of time. It's par for the course for me. And if you're following some outlines, if you follow some of these outlines, the courtship of Solomon and his bride, by the way, some people don't believe this is Solomon, folks. You can be a Berean about this. Some people believe this is a person who uses Solomon as a model, but they're trying to describe the perfect marriage so that they're holding up marriage and sexual love for all the world to see in the Bible so it's something that we could move toward and attain by the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Just throwing that out here. I personally believe it is Solomon. But anyway... The courtship happens, according to some timelines or outlines, in chapter 1 through chapter 3. And then there's this wedding that happens in chapter 3, verse 6 through chapter 5, or the beginning of chapter 5. And then there's the celebration of marriage from chapter 5 through chapter 8. So we're right at the end where the marriage is being consummated in chapter 4. And the last time we were here... We were talking about how the beloved, which is the young man, which if you believe is Solomon, is this Solomon, the one who's getting married, who speaks of the beauty of his bride. And we went through that, how he speaks great things over his bride. And we got to right around chapter, or excuse me, verse 7. Look at this. Pick up there. He's describing as he's moving towards consummating the marriage his bride. And he says this, you are all fair, my love, and there is no spot in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, with me from Lebanon, look from the top of Amana, from the top of Sinir and Hermon, from the lion's dens, from the mountains of the leopards. You have ravished my heart. Circle this, young people. It says, now he says, look what he calls her. Not only just a beautiful girl who he wants passionately, but he calls her my sister, and then he says something, he calls her my spouse. That leads many people to believe they've moved here now into marriage. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one look of your necklace. How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. (laughs) I almost said mouse. How much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfumes than all spices? Your lips, O my spouse, drip as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under your tongue. And the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Your plants are an orchard or orchard, sorry, of pomegranates with pleasant fruits. 
fragrant henna with spikenard, spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south. Blow upon my garden that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. Now here we've come to the end of chapter 4. But I must remind you that if you're part of the church, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you're counting on him for his finished work, for your salvation because of his finished work at the cross and his resurrection to give you new life, then the Bible tells you in Ephesians 5 and other places that you and I and we, no matter what sex we are, female or male, we are the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And so we've been examining this book on two levels, maybe even more than two levels, but primarily two levels. The first level is, this is a real man set in a love song of poems, poetry, love song, who's courting and marrying a real lady. And then the other level is, when you see marital love, remember I read you this from Phil Riken's book, Marital love is the main way that the Bible talks about God's desire for his people and about our eternal romance with Jesus Christ. We should never forget that we are betrothed to the Son of God and that as a result, everything the Bible says about the mystery of marriage is partly intended to help us fall more deeply in love with our Savior. And I recognize now that we have half the congregation here who are of the male species. And some of us, because we're so macho and cool and we love to keep images up, feel uncomfortable when we talk about this. But let me tell you something. Think about this. Did you have a good dad? If you had a good dad, you loved your dad. You were in love with your dad. You don't maybe say it that way because you're macho or I'm macho. We're macho men. But we were in love with our dad. Maybe you didn't have a good dad. Maybe he was a bad dad. And that was tough. So it's tough to equate a good dad with God. But listen, God is a good father. And the way in which you love a father is the way in which he loves us. Or the way in which we love a father is the way to respond to his love for us as men and women. And so when we see this relationship, and it's passionate, I know. We're not talking about anything weird or inappropriate between us and God. No, we have a passionate desire to be with our dad. I love being with my dad, didn't you? Yes. And if you didn't, this is your good, good father, and he loves you. Okay, men, that's my point for you. Don't feel squeamish when they talk about this. This is designed, this book, Song of Solomon, to arouse your passions, your zealousness for Christ. And the way in which it does it is it shows you how much Christ loves you. Now, see, I don't think you'll ever know this or have any joy or sense of joy if you don't know that you're a, without Christ in your life, you're a devious should I say it? Rotten sinner. 
and so am I. Oh, the things that he saved me from. Oh, the things that he saved us from and forgiven us from, or forgiven us. The manipulation that used to dominate my life. The image conscious person that I was. The trying to impress people. The having to be this and that and this for all the different groups of people and then trying to have to remember how I had to be around all the different people that I hung with. Oh, it was so burdensome. But most importantly and top of the list, he saved me from the penalty of sin and all my guilt and shame for all that I've done and will do. And you look at me maybe and say, well, there's the pastor, but I'm telling you, I'm the chief sinner in this room. So see, that's what the Song of Solomon is all about. On one hand, it shows us a marriage, and we're talking about that marriage. He says in verse 7 here, right in chapter 4, can you believe this? There is no spot in you. Jesus is going to present you spotless and faultless before the throne. Let that hang out there for a minute. Just meditate on that. The Bible says that Jesus is going to t- uh, present you faultless before God's throne. So that when you get to heaven, you die here, you go to be with the Lord, the Lord's going to say, come on in based on, because I see you through the prism, the blood of my son. You're perfectly righteous. You're going to say, whoa, I'm perfectly righteous. Wow. There's no spot in us. Listen, that's what we're to be as husbands, girls, young people, young guys. If you're thinking on marrying or dating, or or, yeah, dating, right, and then marrying, you want somebody who's interested in presenting you spotless, bringing you to church. Not that you can't get to church. You're a strong, intelligent, powerful woman. Yes, you are. But you're uh, uh, submitting to the leadership of the man that you're going to marry, and he wants to. He desires to bring you to church and to get you situated and growing in the Word. And men, that's what we're to do. We're to honor and respect our wives, and we don't stay at home. We, we get up. We go and we help her in all the ways we can to get us to church and to live and be there so that we can hear from the Lord. That's what this is saying to you as a romantic couple. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse here. He's married her. He's made the commitment, the commitment to love and honor and cherish her forever. He's made it before God. And what he says is, you're now my spouse. We're exclusive. And I'm jealous for you, jealous in the right way, not in the bad way. See, because bad jealousy tries to take the relationship and just be you and him or you and her. And don't let anybody else see or know what we're doing. That's bad jealousy. But good jealousy is, I want to be exclusive with her and she wants to be exclusive with me. And listen, and we're... Uh, working out or uh, our romantic relationship plays itself out in a community of faith believers. You have a mentor or you're mentoring somebody in the things of dating. You just don't go it alone and hide. Now you become my spouse and we can have 
and know each other physically, spiritually, and emotionally, and we, we're vulnerable. We give our whole selves to each other. That's one of the gifts, but it's always contained within the marriage covenant. It's now my spouse, you see. Before, when it was just my love or the one who looked good to me, yes, we had those desires, but we waited, and she was the one. She was strong. We read it last week, who said, not yet. And he went along with that. They were both protecting each other's purity. Why? Because, see, listen to this, folks. you got to know this. What is your spiritual purity or your sexual purity? Well, many people think, well, it's what we can't do. In fact, a lot of people say it's having sex within the covenant of marriage. That's totally wrong. You know why? Because sex is a gift. It's a gift to us from God, but then it's a gift to your spouse, and your spouse is giving back in sex. Sex isn't something you have. It's something you give. You see. Now you say, well, come on, man. Okay, you've been saying this for a couple weeks. I've messed up in those areas, yeah? A lot of us have messed up in those areas. And so what you do, you ask the Lord just to forgive you and to move on with new mercies, and you go and you honor God now. So there's forgiveness for that. There is forgiveness, but here, what he's saying is, you're now my spouse. I want you to come with me. You are so beautiful to me, my sister, my spouse. Can you believe he calls her a sister? Do you know what your wife or your husband is before they're your spouse? They're your sister in Christ. So when you argue with your wife, you know what you're doing? You're injuring yourself, kind of. Well, you are injuring yourself because two are becoming one. She's your sister in Christ. Remember, your sisters in Christ you encourage and edify. I know there's the... Um, um, the mundane and the familiar in marriage that sets in. And yet, we must remember. So don't buy batteries from Amazon. That's the second time now. Okay. Take that off the tape. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. She's your sister. He's your brother. That's who you are marrying. That's who you're dating, your sister and brother in Christ. But you're beautiful to one another. She is beautiful. With one look of your eyes, with one wink of your, or link of your necklace, how fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. Your love, much better than wine, is your love. Do you see how much in love these two are? They're in love. Jesus is in love with you. Some people in here don't believe that God loves them. They kind of believe that God loves the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's cool. But do you consider that he loves you personally? Well, he does. How much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfumes than all spices? Your lips, oh my spouse, they drip as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under your tongue. Listen, our language to each other, boy, is this tough. Who do we need the Holy Spirit? Should be sweet and strengthening, not sarcastic. That was towards me, by the way. 
And the fragrance of your garments, like the fragrance of Lebanon. There was those, you ever been in that, you know that beautiful cedar of Lebanon smell? Oh, don't you love the smell of pine trees? Anyway, he's just saying that. Now listen to what he says here. You're a garden enclosed, is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. In other words, he's thanking her and thanking God that she's guarded her purity. That's what that's speaking of until she could give it away on her wedding night. And same with him, by the way. By the way, time out. You think the Song of Solomon maybe is just focused on the girls? Well, it is. It is focused on the ladies. All you have to do is turn to the book of Proverbs, where Solomon focused on the guys. So it's not like he's saying, heavy on the girls, they need more (laughs) instruction than the men. No, just go read Proverbs. It's more to the boys or the young men about how they should protect their purity as well. Okay? Okay, so... Your plants are an orchid of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, fragrant henna with spikenard, spikenard, and we read this. You're a fountain of gardens, verse 15, a well of living waters and streams from Lebanon. Now, I want you to see something. We talked about what your gift is to your husband or your wife. It's a gift that you're giving. You're not having sex. You're giving yourself to another when it comes into the area of sex. And it's a beautiful, wonderful, awesome thing. But what I want you to see is, even to the singles here, not even to the singles, I want to say to the singles too, I want you to see how beautiful and powerful that gift is. And it's a giving gift, not a taking gift. And so when you say and make a covenant with the Lord, singles, I'm going to honor the Lord with my sexuality too, and I'm going to wait until the time you're saying, oh my gosh, I recognize how valuable this gift is, and it's ordained by you, Lord, and I'm going to honor it. And it's a beautiful thing that people in their single life can see what's happening here and say, Yes, Lord, if you choose to bring that to me, I'm going to do it in the honorable way that you've asked me to do it. Wow, that's powerful for the singles. Well, look at this in verse 5. Oh, sorry, in verse 15, I wanted to tell you something. Yeah, your, your wife is a well of living waters, and you could be, you, come on, folks, uh, it could, this could be a double entendre. You can look that up if you want to. I won't explain it. It could be a double entendre. But yes, we know this from John chapter 7, don't we? That the Lord's desire for us through the person and work of the Holy Spirit is that we would have fountains of living waters flowing out of our life. And so, yes, you're going to enjoy a fruitful, physical life with your wife, but what is important to him and to her is not only just the physical, but it's also that well of living water, that Holy Spirit beauty and beautifulness that falls out of somebody's life. You're respecting that, and you're honoring that in your wife. Do you see how wonderful that is? He recognizes. It's like as if he's saying, wow, this is what we would say. Oh, my gosh, hon. The way you were with that person who criticized you was totally from the Lord. The way you loved that one person who's on the perimeter and you went and got them and brought them into the fold. Oh man, that was from the Lord. 
The way you get up and pray and pray uh, praise for our family in the morning, hun, it's totally from the Lord. It's Holy Spirit filled. Oh, isn't that beautiful? He's recognizing that in her. And then he says, awake, O north wind, even when the winds come from the north or from the south and they blow upon the garden. You know what all of this is for. Of course, you can see the uh, sexual love here. But what about this? Let my beloved, that's the man, Solomon, come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. Well, one of the things that the Lord uh, wants you and I to know is that we don't exist, or excuse me, he doesn't exist for our pleasure. If you don't think hear anything else we say today, hear this. We don't exist, or excuse me, he doesn't exist for our pleasure, and yet we do gain pleasure. We exist for his pleasure. Have you ever thought about that? He delights in you. He wants to see you thriving and growing and sharing and loving and pouring forth that he looks to you and he comes and he just says, wow, all the fruit that's growing in your life is no coincidence. It is no coincidence that Holy Spirit characteristics that are developed in your life are called fruit so that other people can come and enjoy and be refreshed by the gospel. Well, he says, I've come to my garden, my sister, my spouse, chapter 5. I've gathered my myrrh with my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I've drunk my wine with my milk. And now he says, eat, O friends. Drink, yes, drink deeply, O beloved ones. Do you catch that? Of course, there's a marriage that's happening and a celebration that's happening. And he's saying, I want my friends to come and to be uh, refreshed by the marriage ceremony, right? That's what he's saying here. So look, folks, we're taught, right, because we watch all the Disney movies, that you're going to grow up and you're going to meet Prince Charming and you're, you're going to meet Snow White or Cinderella and you're going to have you know, this wonderful life where you're going to ride out in the carriage and the shoe's going to fit and the clothes are going to fit and the jewels are going to fit and everything's going to be perfect and loving. And you're going to, wow, that's the perfect of marriage. That's the, uh, um, uh, the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is for me to be happy. And that's not what the Bible says. Look at this. The purpose of marriage is that you would scream that the Lord would use your life, your marriage. Is this indicting or what? You think you're just at home cooking the brats on July 4th, uh, getting in an argument because there's no propane and, you know, the whole shooting match. Or you might not even know how to change the propane in some people, like in some cases. The purpose of marriage is that other people can come and drink the gospel of Jesus Christ. You, you, we're walking around worried about the little bill, or whether your kid's the prom queen, or whether they have you know the coolest styles, whether they're in the. And the whole purpose of you and your family's life is to love God and love one another and have it shout to the world that Jesus Christ is Lord. Come drink deeply, friends. I sleep, he, she says. Now she talks in verse 2. I sleep, but my heart is awake. She has sort of another uh, uh, dream. She's already had one. And guess what happens here? Sort of a little disagreement. Isn't that weird? I mean, disagreements don't happen in marriage, right? No disagreements. And so she's sleeping, but her heart is awake, and it's the voice of my beloved. He knocks at the door. Does that re remind you of anything? In Revelation 3.20, it says, he stands at the door and knocks. 
You know that scripture. You can look it up here. If you'll invite him in, he'll come in and dine with you. He'll fellowship with you. That's what Revelation 3.20 says. Well, he's knocking and saying, open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is covered with dew. I've been, in other words, he's been out late. My locks with the drops of the night. I have taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? He was talking. He was knocking, saying, open, my sister, my love. But she says, well, wait a minute. I took off my robe. How can I? Don't, don't think this is salacious here. I think what happens is she took her bath. She put on her robe. She waited for her husband, and he was a little late, so she went to bed. I took off my robe, and oh, I washed my feet, and now I can't get up out of bed and defile them. I'm not getting up out of bed to answer the door. That's what she's saying. You catch that? My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. And I opened for my beloved. Oh, honey, you... Okay, I, I, I hesitated for a little bit. I know I was a little sleepy, and I was a little miffed because you stayed out a little longer than I thought. But hello! And he's not there. That's what the Bible says. I opened there, and my heart leapt up, when he, uh, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. Remember, last week we said, seek the Lord while he may be found, right? What do we do? Here's what we do. You know, it's January 1st, and uh, I've been thinking, because the Lord has been impressing upon my heart, that I need to be a better prayer. We say it every January 1st or December 31st. I need to be a better prayer. I need to read my Bible more. And what happens is, especially when reading, we, we get through the Bible, we get to Leviticus, you know, in about February, and everything comes to a screeching halt. We just stop. Maybe the game's on, and you say, well, Lord, after the game's over, I'll spend some time with you, but you know how that goes. The game gets over around 10, 30, or 11. You're like, oh, geez, I gotta be, God bless you. i got to be at work in the morning. Or maybe you say, well, when my friends leave, I'll spend some time with you. Or, Lord, getting up early, that ain't for me. i got to be at work at 8. And the next thing you know, the next thing you know, we're having trouble finding the Lord. And you and I, we blame the Lord when all along it's been us who's been wayward. He opened, or I, he, she opens for the beloved, and he turned away, but her heart leapt up when he spoke. I sought him, but I couldn't find him. She made a commitment to love. She remembers that, so she just admits her mistake, and guess what she does? She called him, but he gave no answer, so what'd she do? She goes out into the city, and the watchmen who went about the city found me. They struck me. They wounded me. She went out amongst the city. The leaders there uh, treated her poorly. She probably had her bedclothes on, and, you know, they thought she was weird or, or maybe even worse. But these leaders, these watchmen, they went about the city, and they struck her. You know what's interesting about that? You know what happens in the church when people make mistakes? Oftentimes, the leaders bludgeon them. 
Now, the Bible tells us that we are to correct people. So if you're in church and you call this church your home and you're, you know, getting off the path, hopefully there's going to be somebody come and talk to you about it because you live in a church. It's a different community than the, uh, you know, Lions Club or something where you can just do and be and go and do. But you're in a church, and the Bible says that we're to hold each other accountable. So there is accountability in the church. But the Bible tells us that we're to restore a brother or sister gently, and the goal is never to win an argument. It's always to win the brother or the sister. We're always to win them. We're to do it gently. But you know what a lot of times we do is we see somebody off the beaten path, and we just bludgeon them. They come out into the city with their bedclothes on where they shouldn't be, and the leaders of the church get around them and just crush them, wound them. They take your veil away. They charge you. Or she says, I charge you, verse 8, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, tell, them, tell him I am lovesick. I've realized how much I love him. I'm so sorry for being neglectful or, uh, 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 you know, uh, what's the word? Uh, not uh, uh, coming on time, meeting him on time when, when he asked to be met. And, of course, you know that happens within marriages and within dating. Somebody wants to, you know, do this or do that, not even talking sexually, but just do this or do that, and the other one gets their feelings hurt, and the next thing you know, she's late or he's late, and before you know it, there's grudges and not talking and uh, silence and coldness in the house. Anybody else have that happen? Okay. Yeah. But she made a commitment, so she goes out to find him. Do you catch that? She's strong and powerful. She's an awesome lady. She even goes out potentially harmed. The leaders heard her, and then the daughters of Jerusalem chime in with a chorus. Well, what is your beloved? I mean, come on. What is your beloved? You couldn't find him. Is he more than any other beloved? O fairest among women, what is your beloved more than another beloved that you so charge us? Now, I want you to see this amazing response. Here comes the man, the Shulamite. She's rejected him. That would hurt after the marriage. That would be hurtful. So here's what you'd expect. Okay, honey, you know what you did? You hurt my feelings. You were mean. Uh, I can't believe you did this, and you're a real jerk. That's not what he says. Look at this. He goes in chapter 10, my beloved is, or verse 10, my beloved is white and ruddy. White speaks of purity. Or ruddiness speaks of vitality. See, she, I said he, but I meant she's sit, sitting here talking about how wonderful he is. You get that? My beloved is white and ruddy, chief among 10,000. He's superior. His head is like fine gold, divinity. His locks are wavy and black as a raven. In other words, he doesn't get gray. You notice this? Oh, my goodness. I saw my picture the other day. I was like, what salt is on top of my head? In other words, he doesn't change. He's immutable. Eyes are like doves, rivers of water washed with milk, fitly set. His cheeks are like a bed of spices. 
scented herbs, lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His hands are rod of gold set with barrel. His body is carved ivory, inlaid with sapphires. His legs are per... Uh, pillars of marble set on bases of fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon, excellent as cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether the lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. She is out there, and listen, she can't find her lover. She can't find the lover of her soul, and she wants to. And a lot of the times, it's our own fault. In dating, that's one thing. But in our relationship with the Lord, he doesn't ever go away. We go away, and it's hard to find him, or at least we say it's hard to find him. So what does she do? She begins to praise him. This is who my beloved is. That's what you should do. That's what I should do when we are feeling alone. Who is the Lord? Go back to his characteristics and praise him for those things, and watch what happens the daughters of Jerusalem in chapter 6 say, Well, where has your beloved gone, O fairest among women? Where has your beloved turned aside that way you may seek him? And then all of a sudden, for, with no explanation in the love poem, watch this, watch this. There he is. My beloved has gone to his garden, to the beds of spices, to feed his flock in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. In other words, watch what happens. She can't find him. It's really not his fault. She delayed or she did something else. She tried to go find him, couldn't. She stayed. She said, time out. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to praise his characteristics. I'm going to praise him. And she did it. And immediately as she's doing it, he's appearing. He didn't go anywhere. It tells you something about when you're dry spiritually. What do you do? Go praise. Remind yourself of who God is, and immediately, there he is. He's in the garden. He's feeding his flock. He's gathering lilies, and she can say, she can say again, can't she? She can say again, listen to this, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flock among the lilies. Wow. Do you know this? If you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you know the reality is this is how intimate you are with the Lord in the appropriate and healthy way. Christ is in you, and you're in Christ. Christ is in you, and you're in Christ. Wow. And that's what you can say. I am my beloved's, and my beloved's is mine. Look at this in verse 4. Oh, my love, you're beautiful as Terza. That was, used to be the capital city of the northern kingdom. It was taken by another city. But lovely as Jerusalem. This is what the beloved says back. This is the part that I was getting at earlier. He doesn't say anything bad about her. I would be expecting him to say something bad about her. You, you weren't on time. I've never said that in my life, but anyway, you weren't on time. I, we had to be there, at five, and I knocked on the door, and I was there, and I had my clothes ready, and where were you? He doesn't say that. Look, when we stray, he doesn't say that. What does he say to you? He goes, you're beautiful, bride. Lovely is Jerusalem. Awesome. You know what that means? You're filled up with God. You're just beautiful, hon. That's what we should be saying to our wives when they're late or whatever. And here's what God says to you. You're beautiful. You're awesome as an army with banners. You're powerful. The Holy Spirit lives in you, and you're walking through life part of the army with a banner over you of love, and it's beautiful, and I love you. 
we to be saying that to our wives, but God is saying that to us, our bride, your hair like a flock of goats. Trust me, this is comp- these are compliments. Your teeth are like, isn't this beautiful? Like a flock of sheep which have come up from the washing. Everyone bears twins and none is barren. Like a piece of pomegranate are your temples behind your veil. Oh, and then wouldn't you just love to say this to your wife? You're supposed to be exclusive. And you say, well, there's 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. You probably would say that line real fast, so maybe she wouldn't hear you. Well, why is this in here? Because he says in the next line, my dove, my dove, you're the perfect one. You're the only one. It could be this. Solomon had learned his lessons. You know he was a man with 700 wives and 300 concubines. And he recognized that what he'd done is wrong and that this one, this one was the one. Could be that. Or it could be somebody writing about Solomon who recognized that Solomon was wrong and should have been exclusive that the dove is perfect, is the only one. Here's another thing I want you to think about, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ loves singularly the bride. But he's been gone, at least from this earth, for 2,000 or so years, and he's been in the right hand of the Father, and there's been millions upon millions upon millions of people who've given their life to Christ. And listen, although he loves the bride singularly, he loves each one of them personally. Oh, isn't that powerful? God bless you. Well, here, as you move on, this is the only one, the one of her mother, the favorite one of the one who bore her The daughter saw her, called her blessed. The queens and concubines, they prayed her. Who is she who looks forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? And I want you to see that. You could move by that very fast. But I want you to write this, circle this. I want you to write it down. I want you to remember this. This is the mission of the church. We're the bride. This is the mission of the church. Who is she who looks forth as the morning? Every morning we wake up. Listen to this. Mercies are new every morning, and we, 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 because we know Christ and we're in a love relationship with with him, have the perfect and wonderful outlook for the day. Who is she who looks forth as the morning? We look ahead in faith and expectation and joy. The whole world is freaked out about COVID, and we wake up and we're like, yes, Lord, another day to serve you. Take me on the adventure that you've asked me to go on. Where would you have me serve and love? And if you ask me to wear a mask or don't wear a mask, I don't care, Lord. Here's what you want me to do. You want me to love and go and glorify you. Every day you have your mission papers. It's amazing. I want you to see this. The church is one who looks forth every morning with new mercies, able to go out on an adventure. The new day is dawning. You know, every spring, guess what happens in the baseball world? Spring training. Every team thinks they can win the World Series, man. We know that's kind of impossible here in Pittsburgh. But it's that new dawn of a new day. But see, we have Jesus, and he'll never fail. We're always going to win. So every morning, it doesn't matter, COVID, no COVID. It doesn't matter. Lockdown, no lockdown. 
How about this one? It's fair as the moon. That's us as the church. What do you mean? We're, we're people who reflect the glory of the sun, S-O-N. The moon reflects the glory of the S-U-N. And the only way the moon and the sun become darkened is what happens. Earth gets in between the two and there's an eclipse. Don't let the world come between you and the sun, S-O-N. Keep yourself from things of the world. Don't be fascinated with things of the world and just do this everywhere you go. Are you an engineer? Are you an IT person? Are you a lawyer? Are you a doctor? What are you? Are you a, a mom who does the hardest job in the world and raises those kids and drives them everywhere and cooks and cleans? Are you doing that? Here's what you're to do. Reflect the sun. It's so awesome. It doesn't matter. I'm so glad none of us really work at the same place. We all get to go and reflect the sun. Well, or, or, uh, reflect the moon and the sun, clear as the sun. We're clear as the sun in that the, the, the impurities he washes away. He tells us that he's going to sanctify us. That's mission of the church. And we're an awesome army with banners. We walk together arm in arm. That's why it's important to get, together, uh, get along. And we move on in life with a banner over us of love. And then look at this. The Shulamite. <laughs> How funny is this? Hang in there. The maiden says, I went down to the Garden of Nuts. I feel like that's Calvary Chapel, South Pittsburgh, the Garden of Nuts. <laughs> to see the verdure of the valley, the fruit, to see whether the vine had budded and the pomegranates had bloomed. Before I was even aware, my soul had made me as the chariots of my noble people. He puts him, her in a chariot. And now the friends and the beloved say this, return, return, O Shulamite, return that we may look upon you. He's always uh, in love with the bride, even if she messes up. And by the way, go look in Proverbs. The guy messes up too. What would you see in the Shulamite? What would you see in the Shulamite as it were the dance of the two camps. Well, that's a fascinating thing. I don't have time to get into, but in the Old Testament, they used to have victory dances. That might be one. And then there's this two camps, and the word they use there is myhanaim. Do you remember Jacob and Esau? Do you remember when Esau was coming back to meet Jacob and Jacob got real scared? He divided his camp into two camps. Do you remember that? The word for that splitting is mehanaim. And it may be that what God sees in us is obviously he sees us positionally in Christ. That's one camp, our supernatural place in Christ. We're perfect and robed with his righteousness, but practically we still mess up and he's still sanctifying us. I think that might be it. Well, how beautiful are your feet and sandals? Keep going with me. You're like, oh my. Come on. How beautiful are your feet and sandals? I want you to see something here. Write this down. This is the third extended description of the maiden's beauty. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and chapter 6, 4 through 9, and here. But she only tells him of his beauty one time. You catch that? He tells her three times. 
she tells him one time, and I don't think this is a uh, uh, meant to batter the women or to, to be mean to the women. That's not what the purpose of this is. It's to remind us as the bride that he speaks beautiful and glorious words over us way more than we do back to him. Isn't that amazing? You need to know that, that he loves you that way. And so he does. He talks about this one as in the, real, in, the, in the story, they're about ready to consummate the marriage. He talks about, oh, prince's daughter, the curves of your thighs he talks about, and the work of your hands. I want you to see this. This is not something where he's lusting in a bad way. He's saying, man, you were made from God, and you're beautiful. Your navel is a rounded goblet. That's funny. It needs, lacks no blended beverage. Oh, anyway. Your waist is a heap of wheat set about with lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins or gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower, eyes like the pools in Heshbon by the gate of Rath or Bath Rebim. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon. <laughs> you see, Lebanon means white. That doesn't mean she had a big nose. It means she was pale, and that was a good thing back then, but it's funny when we read it, isn't it? Uh, which looks towards Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel, by the way, is glorious and beautiful. And the hair of your head is like purple. A king is held captive by your tresses. How fair and how pleasant you are. That's what the Lord says to you and to me. Don't get used to it. Don't fade out. How wonderful and beautiful you are, O love, with your delights. I delight in you. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 62 that the Lord delights in his people. People, we need to know that. The stature of yours is like a palm tree. There's just so much in your older years as you grow, you're just getting more stable and beautiful and your breasts like clusters. And I said, I will go up the palm tree. I will make hold of its branches. And again, you can think of the double entendres, but this also speaks, look in Proverbs 5, 19 and 20, of her character. He respects her as he loves her and is attracted to her. The fragrance of your breath is like apples, and the roof of your mouth like the best wine. The wine goes down smoothly for my beloved. Move it gently, the, lip, uh, the lips of sleepers. I am my beloved, and his desire is towards me. Now, that's interesting. Bible students, take this down. Do you remember in Genesis, after the curse, after or as God was cursing, uh, 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 humans, after they had rebelled, he said to the wife that your uh, desire will be for your husband, and that the husband would sort of rule over the wife. It was like this battle of the sexes that would go on, and I want you to see this. In verse 10, the Shulamite says, I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. It's as if this person who's writing this is saying that curse that happened in the garden, not completely reversed for all mankind, but in the marriage when it's done right, is not a battle of the sexes. We know our rules and we love each other, and it's beautiful. You need to explore that. That's perfect. And he says, come, my beloved, let us go forth to the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us go up early to the vineyards. Hey, when the Lord's done a mighty work in your heart, guess where the, uh, as the bride matures, guess where she goes? Back to where she came from. You're like, what? Well, she was in the vineyards in chapter 8. Where is it hardest to witness? You know where it's hardest for me to witness? To the guys I used to party with. 
But he says, as you mature, there's going to be bride. There's going to be this maturity and boldness, Holy Spirit, where you're going to have a heart for the people from where you came from. Isn't that beautiful? Go back and share with them first. Oh, so she does. She takes him back there. I will give you my love. Verse 13, the mandrakes give off a fragrance at our gates are pleasant fruits, all manner, new and old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. And then in verse or chapter 8, oh, that you were like my brother. What, what is that all about? Is that weird or something? Nah, there was no PDA publicly for uh, a husband and wife in this culture family members were more at liberty to show affection in public. And what she's saying is, I can't wait for the day where all the restraints are off between you and I. Who nursed at my mother's breast. If I should find you outside, I would kiss you. I would not be despised. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother. What's this all about? This is sort of speaking about the family tree. She who used to instruct me, I would cause you to drink of spiced wine, of the juice of my pomegranate. That's supposedly a fertility fruit. His left hand under my head, right hand embraces me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Folks, she says it one more time for emphasis. Sex is great and grand and glorious, but it's only to be within the marriage covenant. And if you're too young for it, don't stir it up yet. It's too powerful for that. And we talked about that. And parents, help out in that area. Don't just open up the door and say, let's go. You be the leaders there. Who is this coming up from the wilderness? Now it seems to be as they come back to the party, they're coming back together. Before we saw them coming together, now we see them coming back to the party together. Look at this. They were leaning upon, or she was leaning upon her beloved, which speaks of intimacy and dependency. Do you see that? You're to be close, like John was when he sat at the supper with Jesus and leaned on his breast. It wasn't something weird. They loved each other, and they were close. And here, we are to be leaning upon the beloved. I awakened you under the apple tree, and there your mother brought you forth. And there she who bore you brought you forth. You're like, okay, yawn, yawn, yawn. Get it over with. I need some supper, lunch. But if you miss this, man, you're going to be sad, and so am I. Because here's what's happening right here. She's looking towards having a family. And now this isn't to condemn or to make anybody feel bad that doesn't have a family right now. But what this is saying is, in the context of marriage, sex is beautiful and glorious because it's part of just one of several things that God gives to us. But you know what also is grand and glorious? Your extended family who we should honor. And you go back there and you honor them and treat them nice. And under that family tree, there's going to be more children if God so desires to give you children. But here's the point you might be missing. None of this is possible if the bride wouldn't have humbled herself and adhered to the commitment that she made and gone out in the streets when it was difficult and hard and looked for him and then began to praise. Listen, there's, I talked about this the other night, there is a beauty in the conflicts. You're like, what? I hate conflict. Guess what? I hate conflict. 
See, if you aren't able to talk through and work through conflict with people in the church or with your spouse, watch this. Nothing happens under the apple tree. None of the beauty happens, whether you, God gives you children or not. I'm talking about the fruit of that relationship. None of it happens if you run away when it gets hard and difficult and you don't maintain your commitment to the Lord or to your husband or to your spouse. None of this would have happened. You're to maintain. We're to maintain by the Lord's grace our commitments but we need his strength and resource. I need to lean on him. And then she says this, look at this to her beloved, set me at a, a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. This is speaking of the signet ring or even of the high priest's garments that had the families of God right there on the breast and on the shoulders. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arms. For love is as strong as death. Why do you think we have rings? We're saying to the world, I'm taken, and so is she. I'm happy to take this ring from you because I'm going to love you all of my life. For love is as strong as death. Because you see, once you die, you can't come back from it. And that's what he's saying. When you love somebody, you can't come back from it. You love them. Period. That's the love that Jesus has for us. That's what motivates us. Jealousy as cruel as the grave. The grave is cruel without Christ because it's permanent. It's flames. God's love are the flames of fire, a most vehement flame. By the way, right there is the only place in the whole of Song of Songs where the Lord's name is used. You're like, what? I don't see the Lord's name. One of those flames right there is the word Yah, the name for God is suffixed, added to the end of one of those flames. And so the, the point here is God's love is like flames of fire. What do you mean flames of fire? Even if you put it down in the ocean or drown it, you could never put it out for you. People, we need to know that. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. In other words, you can't buy me love. That, that's where it comes from, right there. You can't buy love. It's a free gift from God. You catch it? He loves you, period. Not because you went to Bible studies, not because this, not because you're a good little boy, a good little girl. He just loves you. Well, the Shulamite brothers get in here. This may or may not be out of chronology, but whatever. He says this, we have a little sister. It's like they're a little late to the party, maybe. <laughs> they're going to stick up for her now. And she has no breasts. And what are they talking about? That she's just not mature. What should we do for our sister in the day when she has spoken for? Here, catch this. If she is a wall, we will build upon her a battlement of silver. And if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of silver. And it speaks of whether she's going to choose to maintain her purity or not. Put up a wall and protect it and give it to God. And she answers back, well, I'm a, a wall, and my breasts like towers. I became in his eyes as one who found peace. Whew. In this day and age, this, is, this sentence is going to be hard to say. 
But those who protect their purity, look at this, they find peace. And you say, well, wait a minute, I didn't protect my purity. Yes, but you became and got peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, and now he gives you supernatural peace. But listen, when we maintain purity, whether it be sexual or our integrity in business or no lying or no gossip, peace comes to us. When we walk outside of those things, it's not peaceful. Are we forgiven? Yes. Well, Solomon had a vineyard, verse 11, at Baal Haman. He leased the vineyard to keepers. Everyone was to bring for its fruit a thousand silver coins. And that's why we think she lived or he met her at a vineyard. Now, look, we're going to end. My own vineyard is before me. You, O Solomon, may have a thousand. And those who tend its fruit, 200. You who dwell in the garden, the companions, listen for your voice. Let me hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Folks, the Song of Solomon, I know some of you are like, man, will you just please be, be over? Except for you, you don't want to miss this. Can you believe that the, there's a book in the Bible that ends without being pornographic, but ends erotically, that ends saying that the couple are about ready to consummate the marriage. And then it's as if the Holy Spirit just takes the blinds and pulls them down. And there's this expectation, again, between the husband and the wife that's going to be met, that's going to be outside of our eyes, but you can imagine what happens. And if you're the bride because she is a strong, powerful woman, or if you're the man because he's submitted to her and loves her and speaks well of her, this is mutual pleasure, and it's amazing gift from God. And it's, you can see their anticipation or feel their anticipation if you think about what they're saying. You say, well, okay, are you going to end this series on that? No. Because you're the bride and we're the church. Or excuse me, you're the bride and he's our husband and we're the church. And I want to show you something. Turn to the last book of the Bible. In fact, I want you to turn to the last chapter of the Bible. You see, Song of Solomon isn't the only book that sort of ends that way. <laughs> See, in a spiritual way, watch this, we now have the end of what we consider time, which is really the beginning of all time. If you don't understand that, see our Revelation series, where all things have been made new and the new Jerusalem happens and there's this river of life and time is near and then Jesus testifies to the church midway through chapter 22. And he says this in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Now watch this. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Well, what is that saying? What it's saying is, look at this, folks and we'll close. Jesus is coming back, and the bride is to be expecting him. With great expectation and desire, 
so that all things will be put right and will be safe and secure and live with him in his glory forever and things will be pure and good and holy and we won't have to worry about the rest. Listen, listen. The Bible itself ends with great anticipation. The bride for his church. Or excuse me, the bride for her, uh, her, her king, her husband. The church for her king. We're in great anticipation. The Bible says, doesn't it, that those who live like that live a life of purification. The sun melts those things away. That's our mission. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for this day and for this glorious and powerful piece of Scripture. May it not be lost on us, Lord. Lord, may you tell us how much you love us. Whisper it to our hearts. Show us in your word. Help us to receive your love so that our zeal and our passion for you won't go out. Even when we come down off the mountaintops, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.